Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. I am really excited about being able to teach the beginning of a new series. Um, I'm also slightly emotional this evening, so every now and again I might just lose it, so I don't know what's going on. Um, but we're going to teach a new series, what we call Watch Your Mouth, and for three weeks we're going to talk about what we talk about, because what we talk about matters to God, because the power of your words is incredible, and sometimes I don't think we realize the power of our words, the things that we say about people to people, the things that we say about ourselves have the capacity and the ability to lift us or limit us. What we say and speak over ourselves and what we say and speak over one another is, is, is more than significant. I'm not sure what more than significant is, but it, it is more than significant. It, it is. It's, it's incredibly powerful. Every teacher will tell you, every teenager will tell you, every philosopher will tell you there is incredible power in what is said and how it is said. There is power to limit you, and there is power to enable you to fly. And so in the next three weeks, we're going to unpack what we think the scriptures have to say about these things. And, and I, I want to start off by saying I don't want this to be negative. I'm not, I'm not here to give you a big hard time on please don't swear and don't say bad things. You know, my, my mom used to say to me, sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you. I don't know if you've ever heard that. So when I come home and say some big boy beat me up, I mean, I, I was always the biggest, but some big boy beat me up or someone hit me or someone said something to me. My mum would say, sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you. And there's a sense in which she was half right and absolutely wrong. You know, because you know that a broken bone's going to heal at some stage in some way. But some of the words that are said over us and some of the things that have been spoken about us and some of the limitation placed on us, particularly as a society, some of the ways in which we speak about ourselves in Scotland limits us for the purposes of God. So don't get ahead of yourself. Don't get beyond yourself. Don't believe, don't get above your station. Don't, how can you get above your station? If you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God and you're a son of God or a daughter of God, it's very, very difficult to get above your station. But what happens is we're constantly keeping people down because social nicety says, don't get too dreamy, don't get too visionary, don't get too excited. And so we're always speaking negatively over, over one another. So we're going to take a look at some of that stuff. I don't want this to be negative. You know, my mother also used to wash my mouth out with soap and water. I don't know if, I know lots of parents threatened to do that. My mother actually did it. I probably deserved it a lot of the time, but she would actually... <laughs> because of some of the things that would come out of my mouth. Now, what I want to do is incredibly positive. I would love us to develop a community and a movement in this nation of honor where we speak well of people and we speak well to people where we speak with respect and we speak life and we speak encouragement and we say, come on, you can do this. 
We absolutely believe in you. We're going to give you the resources, but you are a child of God created in the image of God with specific gifts and specific abilities and potential that's been hardwired inside you. And we want you to fly. And we're going to use our words to encourage you to do so. Wouldn't that be incredible if we had a community of people where that kind of stuff was happening all the time? The fact that you can speak is an incredible thing. I mean, just hold that thought for a moment. The fact that you can speak is an incredible thing. It's one of the things that sets us apart from the animals. As the crowning point of God's creation, we're the only species on planet Earth that truly speaks, that can actually communicate emotions and dreams and ambitions and heart. The best the animals can do is to hint at it to make sounds and noises and and, and, and actions, but we get to express exactly what is on our heart, exactly what is on our mind, exactly what we believe, because we are created in the image of a speaking God. And as, as creatures created in the image of a speaking God, we're created to speak. You know, check it out. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, and he spoke, and he spoke this world into being. And one of the first things that he said was, let us make man in our own image. In other words, living, reasoning, speaking, image bearers. It's an incredible thing. We get to speak. And implicitly, throughout the rest of Scripture, we get to speak like God in God's style. What would it look like if we got to speak life into being? What would it look like if we got to speak positively into people's lives? What would it look like if we got to speak truth like God, that honors God, that reflects God in the way that he is? So what we're going to do today is we're just going to frame this. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to the book of James. Now, James is um, like kind of nine-tenths of the way through your Bible. If you go all the way to the right, you'll get to, a, to maps, and then you need to turn left, and you'll get to Revelation, and then you'll hit James at some stage. Now, I need, need to understand James. I, I think James is some kind of northern lad. In other words, there's nothing enigmatic about James. Okay, so basically, everything you get in James is in your face. You know, it, you're not, not going to be confused about what James is saying. It's basically, stick this in your pipe and smoke it. You know, it's just basic stuff. You're not going to be confused. Or, or, or It's not like kind of John, you know. In the beginning was the word, and the word. you know it's, it's not that stuff. This is kind of this not philosophical stuff. This is direct stuff. So you might disagree with it. You might find it difficult to apply, but you're not going to find it difficult to understand. So let's just read from James chapter three about the tongue, and he starts off by talking about leadership, and he says this: Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. 
Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and being tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Jesus starts, James starts this whole section about leadership. And he says, the central issue is your mouth. And uh, commentators who, who, who write about the book of James say, well, James is just picking up proverbs from here, there, and everywhere, and it's a bit random, and they just all put them together. But I don't believe that for one moment. Because I believe that this book is theonustus, it's God-breathed. And I believe that God doesn't make mistakes. And I believe that God has ordered it in a certain way. So I believe there is nothing random about this word and the way it's put together. So I think that James is very intentionally wanting to say there's a leadership issue which is a tongue issue and that's a really, really weird thing. Because you never go to Waterstones or to W.H. Smith and look on the leadership section of books, which I'm slightly addicted to, actually. And uh, I, I always buy them at airports. So I, I, I get extra books that I think are going to help me somehow in my leadership style. But I, I, I go to these sections, and you, never find, you find a whole bunch of books, Seven Ways to Do This, Ten Laws About Leadership, 19, and all those kind of big titles like Tame the Tiger and, you know, Good to Great and all these kind of titles. You never have a title that says using your tongue wisely is the key to leadership. You never, you're not going to find a book that says that, but James says it is the key thing. If you're going to lead in any way, shape, or form that you learn how to use this properly. James says it's a bridle, a rudder, and a spark. A bridle goes into the mouth of a horse and it controls strength and gives direction. A rudder on a ship is small but vital. If you've got no rudder or you've got a broken rudder, you're going to go to the wrong place or you're even going to capsize. And a spark sets a light, a whole forest, and causes collateral damage everywhere. James says the mouth is everybody's issue. Look at verse 2. If you don't make mistakes with your mouth, consider yourself to be perfect. In other words, what he's saying is none of you are perfect. Everyone makes mistakes with your mouth. Verse 8, no one can tame the tongue. In, other words, in your own strength, you can't do it. There's no way you can stop saying things that you shouldn't say. We all say stupid stuff, don't we? Every single person in this room has said stupid stuff. Every single person in this room has said harsh stuff, has said stuff they really wish they hadn't said. We say stupid things. Vice President Dan Quayle years ago said this. He was quite famous for saying stupid things. I recently toured Latin America and the only regret I have was that I didn't study Latin harder in school so I could converse with all those people. Wow. 
just in case you think I'm having to go at the Americans, Tony Blair once said, I never make predictions and I never will. John Major, if you think we're being party political, John, John Major once said, when your back's against the wall, then's the time to turn around and start punching. <laughs> it's gonna hurt, isn't it? Ronald Reagan, he said, if English is good enough for Jesus Christ, it was good enough for me. <laughs> and we all make mistakes. I, I have said some of the most stupid things in the pulpit. You know, just in case you, that's why I always pray a wheat and chaff prayer at the end of every sermon, because I say stupid things. And as I get older, I'm not even sure why everyone is giggling about the things I say. It's, it's getting that bad. You know, I just, say, I just say stupid things from time to time. And so we pray a wheat and chaff prayer because there's stuff that's fleshy of the preacher, but God is still speaking his truth into our lives. And we say, God, would you remove that fleshy stuff so that the stuff that is true that's supposed to change your life would impact your life dramatically and you wouldn't be affected by the nonsense that's going on in this mouth. And I've said things that are worse than stupid. I've said hurtful and harmful things. I've gossiped about people. I've said things behind people's backs. I've called it sharing for prayer. But actually, I was just gossiping. I've said things to my kids in a moment of anger that I wish I'd never said and I wish I could take back because I know how damaging those things can be. I've called people names that I should never have called people. And I've spoken about people in ways that I wish I'd never spoken and I know how damaging that is because the tongue is a fire. It's a restless evil. You can't tame it. And I've spoken about myself in ways I should never have spoken about myself. I've spoken about myself in ways that dishonor God. I've said, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're not cool. When actually we all know that I'm cool. (laughs) (laughs) Abigail, you're in so much trouble later. Verse 6 says, the tongue is a fire. It can scorch people and char people and incinerate people. It's like a nuclear weapon. And so what I want to do this evening and the time that we've got is to give you three, I think there are three biblical sins of the tongue that I want us to hang around just a bit so we can understand what God is saying around these things. I'm going to call them lying talk, destructive talk, and negativity talk. And we've got no time to land on all these things, so we're just going to give an overview, and then we're going to deal with some of them in the weeks to come. The first thing I want to talk about is truth and lying or untruth. If you're taking notes, the the ninth commandment of the Ten Commandments says don't lie ever to anybody about anything. What part of that command do we not understand? Don't lie about anything to anybody, anytime. Why? Just hang on a second. That means don't tell people that the check's in the post when the check isn't in the post. Don't don't tell people that you were caught up in traffic when you just didn't get out of bed. Don't don't you know just about nothing. No white lies, no half lies, no lies that you think are helpful lies because it won't hurt someone. No, no, no. Don't lie about anything, anytime, to anybody, in any situation. That's what the command says. Why? I'll tell you why. 
because lying breaks the heart of God. Because God is in principle and in fundamental character a truth teller. He's a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. And whenever you lie, you have no idea of the dissonance that goes on in the heart and the mind of a holy God when you lie. He hates it. So other to him. Why, why, why not lie? Because lying destroys trust with people. You know that's true, don't you? If, you? if you lie once, you might get away with it, but then you have to make another lie which kind of compounds the first lie, and eventually you get caught, and when you get caught, people do not trust you. Nobody says, I'd like to go into business with lying boy. If I'm pointing my finger at you, it's my eyesight's not very good, so don't worry. I, I don't wanna, I, I, yeah, I wanna go into business with lying boy because I can totally trust their integrity. No, 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 no. No one says, do you know what? That, that boy or that girl, they're really fantastic. I really love them. Okay, they lie all the time, but I'm sure the marriage is going to work. Nobody says that because, because fundamentally lying destroys trust with individuals. We're, we're created in the image of God for community and lying destroys that. Why don't lie? Because lying corrodes your soul. It destroys the inner core of who you are. I tell you why. Every time you tell a lie, it messes you up. Because it is the most obvious active participation in the enemy's enterprise. The, the enemy, probably his best name is the father of lies. He loves to tell untruth. He loves to have you believing things that seem true according to your current situation, but are absolutely untrue according to the word of God. And he loves to get you trapped in a world of lies and a world of deception. So every single time you step into a world of lies, you step into a world of untruth, you step onto his turf. And he says, aha. He probably doesn't say, aha. But he says, I've got you. I've got you on my turf. Now, the, the, the biblical language is foothold. I've got a foothold into your life to mess with you because you're living on my turf according to my game and you're telling untruth. James says, when you tell a lie, you are participating in that restless evil. What would it look like if we only ever spoke the truth in this community? Wouldn't that be a relief? You would never have to work out what you told somebody because you might get caught out. You just always told the truth. And we learned how to do it in love and with gentleness and compassion and grace. But we just always tell the truth. The first sin is the sin of, of the lying talk. The second is the, is the sin of destructive talk. Doing damage with your mouth through slander or gossip or devaluing people or passing on information about somebody else. I said before, Christians call it sharing. It's actually gossip. How many of, let me try something. How many of you, put your hand up, if you've ever been the subject of slander or gossip that you know about? How many of you are never going to put your hand up, whatever I ask? So you're not, just not, because you don't play that game. But, but I, I mean, I, I have umpteen times and, and it's always true if you're, if you're leading anything and you're trying to break ground in anything you will always be the target for people's anger and concern and, and the things that they will say about you will sometimes be harsh and unfair and it's devastating listen to me very closely Father God knows how fragile your heart is I mean even if you're a big strong guy 
and you think kind of none shall pass and you know I'm going to tough it out. Father God knows how fragile your heart is and he knows how fragile my heart is. And God wants to put to an end all the damage that is done by slander and gossip. And God says, I think, don't let that junk come out of your mouth. Let's have a slander-free environment. I, I love how uh, the Bible puts it in Ephesians 4:29. The Apostle Paul says this, let no unwholesome word, I think it's on the screen, right? let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, only such a word as is good for edification, edification for building people up, for saying, come on, you can do this, for encouraging them. The, the original meaning of the word encourage means to put courage into, to breathe courage into people. The Apostle Paul says, don't let anything come out of your mouth that will tear somebody down. Speak life and speak grace over people and be very careful what you say with your words regarding people created in the image of God. Why is Jesus bothered? It's just words. I'm just saying, hashtag. Why is Jesus bothered? One of my daughters is going. Why is Jesus bothered? He's bothered because you never meet anybody that Father God doesn't love and isn't created in his image. And you, need, you never meet anybody, whatever they're doing with their life, that Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross for and shed his precious blood. And you never meet anybody that the Holy Spirit isn't actively trying to win right now. So take that context and now say the junk that you're about to say about that person that Father God thinks is fantastic. Which means that nobody is a jerk. Nobody is a no hope. Nobody is an idiot even if they're behaving like an idiot. Nobody should be speaking words that are inflammatory or diminishing about someone's race or color or ethnicity or IQ or sexual orientation or socioeconomic status or anything else like that. Just stay clear of that stuff because it grieves the heart of God. Nobody is a failure. Failure is an event, not a person. Nobody is an idiot. You can behave like an idiot, but that is not your identity. Why don't we just attempt to have a slander-free zone amongst the people of God? We are not gonna listen to that junk. We're not gonna pass that junk on. We're not gonna speak about anybody as if they're less than us. And we're gonna remember that it is a fearful thing to speak about somebody created in the image of God in a way that Father God does not approve of. It's a fearful thing. Well, what would it look like? I mean, there are so many of us here who could take responsibility in our places of work. There's so many of us here that could take responsibility in our families for how men speak about women and what they joke about. And how women speak about men and what they joke about. And, 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 and how we stereotype so unhelpfully. Don't pass that stuff on. It doesn't honor God in any way, shape, or form, and it doesn't honor you. Negative talk. 
And we really haven't got time, and I've got an absolute stack of stuff to say, so we're going to do it for another week. But what I do want to say is this. It is so often a self-fulfilling prophecy what you say about yourself. Come with me to verse 6 just very quickly. The phrase in verse 6 says this, directs the course of your life. Now, the Greek words used to construct that little phrase are really interesting. Directs the course actually could be translated becomes the steering wheel. It's like the, the same words are used for the steering wheel of a ship. So it directs the course of your life. That word life could also be translated genesis. It directs the course of your Genesis, here's the thought. The words we speak are creation for us. And if we think that's a bit far-fetched, well, well, we haven't got time now, but check out Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, and he spoke. His words became creation. And in a very similar way, your words become creation for your life. If you speak just negative stuff over your life, then the likelihood is you're going to have negative experience in life. If you speak positive things in your life, the likelihood is you're going to begin to open the possibility of positivity because you haven't limited yourself. You've offered the, offered the opportunity of lifting yourself because God is in the business of choosing and speaking life. The words you speak about your marriage, your kids, yourself, they have the, the ability to lift you or limit you. The words that have been said over you by your parents, the words that have been said over you by teachers, they have the ability to lift you or limit you because words have power. Guys, what kind of world are you creating? Okay, let's be realistic. The bit in the mouth of a horse, the rudder on a ship, are little things. They're going to have to fight quite massive contrary forces. So the, the bit in a, in a horse is going to have to fight the power of a horse. The, the, the rudder on a ship is going to have to fight the currents, the wind, and the waves. If they're going to work the way they should, they're going to have to leverage the power that they've got. And your tongue is also a contrary force. It's bent towards you and it's bent against others. Your predisposition is to blame other people. Your predisposition is to devalue other people. And the culture that we're part of is a contrary force. We live in a slag-off culture, it's a gossip culture, it's a sarcasm culture, it's a cynical culture, it's a put-down culture. We call it banter, but more often than not, it's undermining other people so we feel stronger and better about ourselves. Who's going to have the last word? And it does not honor God. So how, let's finish positively. How are we going to leverage the power of our words in a positive way? James gives us a hint. Look at verse 9. He says this. We can worship God with our tongues. We can, we can speak words of thanksgiving to God, words of praise or gratitude. I have a suspicion that even though we're all of us in church today, most of us dramatically underestimate how much our words mean to God. Every time you say thank you to God, Every time you pray a prayer of gratitude, every time you sing a song of praise and say, God, you are amazing, it moves the heart of God. Every time you thank him for his nature and his creation and everything that he's done in your life, every time you praise him for Jesus, it moves the heart of God. I tell you how I know that. I know it because I'm a dad. Some of you haven't been parents and don't know, but let me tell you, I know that this is true because I know that Nikki and I bust our gut for our kids. 
They don't know it, but they're hearing it right now. You know, we drive them places, we, 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 we work long hours, we, we, we plan holidays for them, we give them good things, we give them presents when we haven't got the money to give them presents. We absolutely love them. We do it because we love them. It's called grace. God, I love you because I love you because I love you. I'm not expecting a transactional deal. But I tell you this, when one of them writes you a note, one day... And it says, thanks, Dad, for one thing that I, that, that I did. I love you and I think you're brilliant. I cannot tell you how much that moves my heart. Um, not because mum kicked her to do that. Do you know? It's exactly the same with Father God. When you start saying, God, I love you. I'm so committed to you. I'm so grateful for your, for your, for, for your generosity. Any expression of worship that comes out of your mouth melts his heart. And it changes your perspective. I'll tell you that from my experience. You know, I have some pretty lousy mornings. I get up and think, oh my goodness me, I've got to move this and do this and make this happen. And we've got this huge vision. We're going to transform the whole of Europe. And all we've got is this. And I can't get out of bed. And, you know, all this kind of. And, 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 do, you know, do you know what changes everything? I've learned to start the day with Thanksgiving. God, it might be miserable in Edinburgh today because it's gray. And I might not know what to do with the next point of the vision. But I am grateful to you. I'm grateful to you for my family. I'm grateful to you for provision. I'm grateful for you for breath. I'm grateful for giving me health. I'm grateful for the ability to be here. I am just grateful for you. And slowly my heart begins to melt and change. I learned this when I was about 20 years of age. I started um, uh, uh, in a church in Dagenham. I worked for an organization in London and I was, I was leading a team of teenagers in Dagenham. We were living there for a year and Dagenham is a kind of pretty run-down estate in the east end of London and uh, you know, most people had some kind of fighting dog um, and we had to go door to door. You know, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, you know, the, it wasn't the nicest of places and I, was doing, I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, every week I had to lead as one of my duties, not just the youth club, but the women's guild. <laughs> now the women's guild consisted of about 12 to 14 women who were all in my eyes about 140. And we met in a drafty and cold church hall and uh, they had a thing called the promise box. And the promise box had been made by one of the ladies and into the promise box, they put all the promises of God on pieces of folded up paper. And then they played what I can only describe as geriatric past the parcel. And as they did so, they passed this promise box around and they sang a song. It went like this. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And they did, anyone heard that song before? About seven of you. So they pass this thing around. Some of you still go. Do you go to the women's guild? <laughs> I just pointed that guy up. I thought it was funny. Um, so they pass this box around. And like, I'm not joking. When the music stopped, someone had the box and they opened it up. And they opened up a promise of God. And they read out the promises of God. And everyone clapped. And they prayed in the promises of God. And do you know what? I laughed about it, but actually those women had kept that church alive for 20 years 
and probably saw a generation of young people come through. Do you know, they didn't mind that the young people on the estate broke their windows all the time and beat people up and caused grief because they still loved them and they still prayed for them. Why? Because they had learned the art of thankfulness. They'd learned the art of thankfulness. And if it's true of God, if it's true that God would love you to say, I love you and I think you're fantastic, how much more true is it of other people that God has placed in your life? Do you know, I, I, I'm almost ashamed to tell you how much it blesses my heart when someone tells me I'm pretty good or they really love me or they like me. <laughs> Do you know, I, I'm, I'm almost ashamed of it, but actually it's true, isn't it? I can't tell you how much it moves the hearts of individuals created in the image of God when someone tells them that they're loved. I tell my girls every day, I love you, I think you're fantastic, I'm very proud of you. And they now get to the point when I say, do you know what? And they go, yeah, you love me, whatever. <laughs> you know, but actually I do it because I know the damage that gets done to people where parents and people who are supposed to love them don't tell them. Unspoken love. I know the damage of it. So why don't we create a community where we tell people what we think? We tell people we're proud of them. We tell people we love them. We tell people we're for them. We tell people we've got their back. And we don't just lead people to guess that that might be possible and might, I know we're British. We don't just leave people trying to guess whether that's true or not. We actually tell people what we think and how we honor them. You want to fill someone's heart up. Tell them you love them. It may, it may mean that you need to, on the way home, pick up your phone and tell someone. You don't have to tell them you love them. I know some of you guys are completely freaked by the whole concept. And don't be weird either. <laughs> here's here's what I wanna, where I want to close, and I will close right now. I'm sorry. I've, sermon on words, and I've used too many. I, I've got a mouth problem because I've got a heart problem. Look at James 3. And right at the end of James 3, James changes the analogy almost too abruptly. I've learned to know that when, when, when the Bible writers change something that looks too abrupt, it, 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 it's for a reason. They haven't made a mistake. It, 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 there's a reason there. And what he has done is he's linked two concepts together. He starts talking about fresh water and salt water, fig trees and olives and grapevines and figs. And I think what he's saying is this. If you've got the fruit, you've got the root. In other words, if your mouth is a liar, if you gossip and slander, if you pull people down, if you find it hard to pray, God or love people verbally, then you do so because you've got a damaged heart. A fig tree can't bear olives, a salt spring can't produce pure water. You show me someone who's speaking filthy and tears people down, and I'll show you someone with a damaged heart. But get this you show me someone with a damaged heart, and I will show you a heavenly father who has already moved heaven and earth to restore that damaged heart. That's what he does. And he wants to continue to do so. You show me someone who speaks badly about other people. You show me someone who speaks badly about themselves. You show me somebody who lies and constantly doesn't the truth. I'll show you someone who has been damaged, who has had untruth spoken over them, who's believed things that are not true about themselves. And I will show you a father who moved heaven and earth and sent his only son so that he can repair damaged hearts, so that he can restore people to their rightful relationship, so he can call out identity in people, and he can call out potential. I'll show you a father who wants you to fly. No one can tame the tongue, 
but he can heal the heart. And that's what he wants to do. See, Jesus with his dying breath, he's hanging on a cross and he's dying for the sin of this world, yours and mine. He says three words. Almost the last thing he says. He says, Father, forgive them. Father, would you forgive them? Would you heal them? Would you restore them? Because I love them. And we're going to close there. And I think that, that I, I don't know what God's doing with your heart. And you know, I don't claim to have an insight into everything that you're thinking or everything that you're doing or where you stand with God. But I do know this, that God loves you so much that he wants to bring healing into your life. And God loves everybody else so much that he wants you to represent him well with how you speak and how you live. And the God who loves you that much is here this evening and he wants to do some business because he always does. And he wants to set people free and he wants to give you fresh opportunities and new beginnings. And he's desperate for the potential that he placed in you to be released. He doesn't want you to wallow around in the woulda, coulda, shouldas. Maybe one day he wants to release you to fly. Your words have power. Your words have power. Let's pray. We're just going to remain quiet for a bit. You know, you've heard a lot of words from me. And once again, there's some stuff that's very fleshy and doesn't need to be remembered by anybody. And I asked the Holy Spirit just to blow that away on the wind. That was just me. But there's some stuff that comes direct from God that's for our hearts that is to be listened to and dealt with. There's stuff about a slander-free environment. There's stuff about truth. stuff about gratitude Holy Spirit would you come would you minister to my brothers and my sisters you're welcome here our hearts are open books before you you know us already would you prompt us and would you change us and would we know life and speak life would we know grace and speak grace? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you do something significant today? Holy Spirit, come. No one can tame the tongue, but he can heal the heart. No one can tame the tongue, but he can heal the heart. There have been things that have been said over you that need broken off of you, that are not there to limit you. Just let him come. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to just continue to worshiping Jesus for a bit, enjoying his presence. And, um, you know, if you have to go, that's absolutely fine, but just give it a few minutes.
because God is here. And we're going to respond to him. And some of us have lived for a long time in untruth and there's an opportunity to get free today. Some of us know that our hearts are damaged because there's been stuff that's been said and the stuff that hasn't been said. We always had to guess and we were never sure. And today is an opportunity to get healed and get free. God deals with hearts. He's like an expert. And um, for some of us, we just know that we speak rubbish <laughs> an awful lot of the time. We speak junk. We pass things on. We, we speak about people rather than to people. And, and that needs to stop and the, the Holy Spirit's convicting us but we can't tame the tongue and we need help and he can heal the heart. And so as we worship Jesus, our prayer team are over to my right and to your left and they're not going to counsel you and they're not going to ask about your particular deviancy, issue, challenge, pain. They're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and bless you and seal what he's already doing in your heart and life. They're really good at that. So let's just leave this, let's just use this space. There's no judgment here. There is not one person in this room who is perfect. The scriptures say that. And your experience tells you there's not one person in this room that is, that is not gossiped or lied or cheated or there's not one person in this room that has spoken correctly over themselves all the time. We're all broken. And we all are in need of the grace of God and he gives it lavishly. So let's worship him. Let's receive from him. I'll shut up and we can just do business with God.